Chapter Eighteen of A Soldier's Letters to Charming Nelly. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asterix. Chapter Eighteen: The Power of the Fiddle and the Bow. Morristown, Tennessee, December the thirtieth, eighteen sixty-three. The Texas Brigade left Bean's Station on the morning of the 22nd. Jack Sutherland, Green Griggs, and your humble servant, determined to do a little foraging, and if possible secure what Bill Calhoun calls the concomitant ingredients for a Christmas dinner. Straggling off on a by-road, we tramped about the country all day, slept in a house that night, and next morning our haversacks filled to overflowing with the good things of life wended our way in the best humour imaginable toward morristown of course we kept a sharp lookout for provo guards and were not surprised to come upon one of those despised but lordly individuals complacently standing in the road ahead of us jack and green proposed to flank the enemy but having great confidence in the powers of persuasion and argument which had extricated me from many a predicament i finally induced them to join me in a bold advance giving the fellow no time to make inquiries i stated to him that we had just been relieved from guard duty and asked to be directed to the camp of the texas brigade but while politely and promptly furnishing the desired information he most unkindly arrested us as stragglers we are not stragglers i insisted we left the command yesterday guarded a private house last night according to orders and must return to camp at once maybe so said the guard with a provoking smile i ain't a disputin nothin but we can't let you pass orders are to stop everybody that hain't got a pass call your corporal then said i and that officer appearing i exercised upon him every blandishment and argument at my command but alas without in the least softening his obdurate heart carry us to the officer of the guard i demanded i reckon he will have a little common sense it isn't common sense or any other kind he's got to have he has simply got to obey orders responded the corporal as he led the way to the huge guard fire by this time jack was mad as a hornet his glances at me lowering savage contemptuous once he sidled up to me and remarked in a tone of withering scorn now don your old hide you've got us in a blank of a pickle by your confounded faith in your ability to out-talk people wait a while old fellow i replied no telling what may happen but i had more misgivings than my words indicated and i had still more when the lieutenant politely but positively refused to release us when the ultimatum fell on his ears jack dropped down before the fire with a surly groan green looked blue and smiled in a sickly manner and i felt that my last hope was departing but nil desperandum is my motto whenever i get into trouble i entered at once into conversation with the lieutenant and learning that he was a georgian complimented the soldiers of his state and especially those of the eighteenth regiment so extravagantly 
yet judiciously as to persuade him into a real good humour and was wondering how to utilise my advantage when on the other side of the fire partly concealed by a blanket i espied a fiddle and a bow like a flash the inspiration came i stepped around the fire boldly seized the instruments and handing them to jack said in the most cheery tone imaginable give us some music old boy you never in your life saw such a sudden change as occurred then and there in jack's countenance every shadow and trace of ill-humour disappeared in an instant and a smile that was absolutely charming irradiated his homely features he grasped the fiddle and began to tune it with an eagerness that was surprising for he is much more fastidious ordinarily about the violin he plays on than about his eating neither the landlord nor the quality of the food affects his appetite but he has an unutterable horror of drawing the bow across the strings of any except his own violin that has such a sweet and powerful tone and jack makes such delightful music on it that colonel winkler carries it with his private baggage in order to have it always at hand when its owner is in the humour to play little music as i have in my benighted soul i discovered at his first scrape of the bow that it was a miserable apology for a fiddle it did not seem to matter with jack though whether he felt the need of music just then to soothe his own savage breast or imagined he might use it as a means of securing release from durance vile he handled the bow with a deftness and heartiness that made the hills and hollows of east tennessee echo and re-echo with delicious strains he put his whole mind to the business as if there was nothing else in the world worth doing kept time with one foot wagged his head from side to side for the half-beats and never once forgot to keep his hard-favoured countenance illumined with a smile that was both a plea to his captors and a totally unexpected charm to his fellows in misfortune the georgians expected only a little amateur sawing but jack had not got halfway through the devil's dream ere they realized that a master hand wielded the bow and the highest order of musical genius directed the hand entering fully into the spirit of the occasion some of them began to pat others to shuffle their feet and all to nod their heads and show their teeth with delight jack was not so overcome by the divine afflatus as to be unconscious of surroundings and marking the impression made on his auditors played told and acted the arkansas traveller changing his voice to mimic first the strong one of the traveller and then the weak piping tones of the chill-stricken settler and question and answer given making the woods ring with melody from the violin you could even hear the traveller ask where does this road go to sir then the reply of the settler tain't gone nowhere stranger since weans been livin in these woods then the first part of the tune the only part the settler knew would be played over and over again until interrupted by another question jack would stop sawing long enough to answer and then begin again it is a long story you know for you must have heard some old darky play it and act it but jack not only told all of it i ever heard but a good deal more finally reaching the place where the traveller asks why don't you play the balance of that tune jack as he repeated the question handed me the fiddle and bow and then answering it case i ain't never heard it stranger can you play it 
impersonated the traveller by reaching for the instrument and playing the balance of the tune with a spirit that made a final conquest of our georgia captors from the arkansas traveller jack switched off suddenly to gray eagle and as he played called all the turns of start backstretch home stretch and finish of the grand kentucky race that was the inspiration of the author in composing the music indeed it was a revelation of genius of the wonderful power of a master to extract the sweetest music from an old weather-beaten and war-worn fiddle and of histrionic and pantomimic talent which held the auditors breathless and spellbound a radical metamorphosis had taken place in the performer generally we have to beg jack to play and when he consents it is with the lordly far-away manner of one who feels he is casting pearls before swine he rebukes any request for a particular tune by a forbidding frown or a curt gruff remark that the instrument is not in tune for it which says to the offender more plainly than words what do you know about music that warrants your presumption in selecting a tune for me to play but now no longer surly of voice and crusty of manner he was the most mild-tempered and accommodating of mortals and let the strings down or screwed them up at the slightest hint of choice on the part of our hosts and played every tune called for with an alacrity which demonstrated that it was the very one he was most anxious to play how long the music lasted i cannot say for captors and captured forgot time the world and all its sordid cares as they sat around the big log fires at last however there was a lull a hush a silence jack laid the fiddle and the bow tenderly on a blanket brushed from his eyes the tears evoked either by the smoke or the exalted condition of his mind and reached out for a coal with which to light his pipe the circean spell that enthralled minds and hearts was broken and the auditors drawing long breaths of sorrow became once more human beings of the earth earthy my tumble from supernal realms was not so precipitate as to drive from my mind the dryness of our extremity with the genius of a great captain i laid instant hold on the favourable impression made by the music and rising to my feet ready equipped for departure looked the lieutenant full in the face with a confident smile saying well gentlemen we must be getting on to camp jack looked up at the words astonishment depicted in every line of his rugged face but when the gallant georgian smiled kindly back at me and said yes you fellows go up the hill behind the fence to that skirt of timber yonder then follow the timber down to the road and you'll get to camp all right but of course if you're caught again you will not give us away the astonishment vanished to be replaced by a look of inexpressible relief little conversation was indulged in until all points of danger safely passed jack turned to me and with a disgustingly self-complacent air said you ain't worth a blank joe you can always rely on me though to get out of a bad scrape we would be on our way to captain scott's quarters now if i hadn't dazed that lieutenant with the music i gave him i felt outraged that the prominent part i had taken in the happening of the last few hours should be so conceitedly ignored the devil you say i retorted you did draw a good bow but you lacked the wit either to hunt for the fiddle or after the battle was won to take advantage of success 
it was my unparalleled and sublime conception to pretend that we were mere visitors whose departure would not be opposed you and green would have begged for release i was the napoleon who seized the golden opportunity and trotted you fellows out of danger into our present safety wasn't i green thus appealed to green looked as wise as an owl and weighing each word as carefully as if giving an opinion on a question of law said well boys it strikes me this way jack can beat all creation a scraping a catgut and joe is blank when it comes to working them jaws of his and sticking the words in pointedly betwixt fiddling and chin music you fellows got away with the lieutenant green's judicious administration of soft soap restored amity the first tents of the regiment approached were those of the band pausing here to overlook the camp and get its geography i glanced to the right and there fifty yards away stood colonel winkler and sergeant major brown looking straight at us i picked the old hen and rooster which had fallen to my share and salted them down for cooking the next day just as i finished the job brown sauntered up near me and i asked him what colonel winkler said when he saw us coming in he just asked where you fellows had been said brown and i told him you were returning from guard duty did he swallow the lie i asked of course not said brown he's no fool you got in too late in the day to be mistaken for men relieved of guard duty christmas morning i invited lieutenant brahan of company f then acting adjutant of the regiment and mr bunting the chaplain of the terry rangers to take dinner with me i promised them a chicken pie and anxious that it should be a masterpiece of its kind gave my whole mind to its preparation i had carried operations to the point where the least carelessness would be ruinous to hopes and pie when brahan walked hastily down from the colonel's quarters and stopping a hundred yards from me called out loudly joe colonel winkler wants you to report to him immediately truly i was in a nice predicament a fat hen and rooster in the skillet on a hot fire just at that stage of cookery which required the utmost delicacy of management and i the only living person thoroughly capable of giving it called away at the very culmination of the critical moment it was enough to provoke a saint especially when it was a question whether he would be permitted to return to his pie or be sent to the guard-house judging from their countenances jack and green felt the same consternation i did jack kindly volunteered to take care of the pie but knowing he had already eaten up his share of plunder i distrusted him and requested joe bowers of company d whose true name is john baker to watch it then in fear and trembling i went to the colonel's tent as i entered he rose from the adjutant's desk and saying i wish you would sit down here joe and copy this application handed me three closely written pages of foolscap i'll do it with the greatest pleasure colonel said i relieved of every apprehension except for the pie but see here i have a couple of chickens on the fire and i'm afraid they will get burnt can't i do your work after dinner no said he it is an application to transfer our three texas regiments to texas and a staff officer is waiting at longstreet's headquarters to carry it to richmond you copy it at once and i'll go down and see after the chickens 
i'll do the work at once then colonel said i hastily but you needn't bother about the chickens they are in charge of joe bowers the only man in the regiment who won't steal the colonel laughed heartily at my evident doubt of his good faith and i copied the applications in a hurry and then flew on the wings of hunger and apprehension to my mess of pottage the crust was a little burned the gravy had a flavour of smoke but the pie was still a toothsome delicacy to hungry confederates better than all neither jack sutherland green griggs nor i have been punished for an offence exactly similar to that which has caused half a dozen of our comrades to promenade the colour line with a log on their shoulders for two hours a day and will keep them engaged in the pleasant pastime for at least eight days longer End of chapter 18